0: the dog ate my homework good Good evening everybody it's good to have this number out with us for our second half of our worship service and if you have your bibles be turning with me to romans chapter 12 romans chapter 12 we're going to begin in the first and second verses and we're going to move back over to to hebrews and we're going to stay in hebrews for the rest of this sermon or the rest of this lesson hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 Romans, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans, I'm already in Hebrews in my mind. Um, thanks, Mark. He's my, he's my go-to. He's my helpmate back there. I appreciate it, Mark. Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. When Paul writes to the church in Rome here, he's telling them to, to, to be something. He's to encourage them to do something. As, of course, the Jews would have been uh, readily uh, used to giving sacrifices and killing things and sprinkling of blood. There, there was used to those things. Now we've been commanded to be a living sacrifice. That person who we used to be, of course, is no longer, shouldn't be abiding in us. We should be a Christian and not abiding in the ways of the world. Not following Satan, but Jesus Christ. So when we read verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, let's look at verse 2 real quick. The very first half of the sentence in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world. Whenever you think of your home, your everlasting home with God, it's two different things. This world that we see created by God way back when, where he formed the heavens and the earth and made the firmament come out of the water. He created it, and it will be gone one day. He created this other place. This other place is reserved for those who are faithful. He's telling us, or well, Paul is encouraging us not to be conformed to this world. Because when we become conformed to this world, this world will be gone one day, and we don't want to be gone with it. He's telling us to be something different. Be better. Be an, an uh, Be, be Have your mind set upon holy things, things of the heaven, not upon this earth. So here he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 2, listen to him very carefully. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We made a a discussion. We had a discussion this morning, and and a comment was made about the idea of renewing, the idea of, of remembrance. I believe it was on a Wednesday night. When we, get, when we renew ourselves and remind ourselves of salvation. You might think, well, I have salvation on my mind all the time. Do we really and truly and honestly have salvation on our mind all the time? Well, if we don't, we need to reassure ourselves that salvation is waiting for those who are faithful. Paul, he says, of course, don't be conformed to this world, but transform your mind. Change it. Correct it. No longer have it centered upon this world, but in the next. That, where, that place where God is, that place where Christ is, that place where those who are faithful will dwell with him for eternity, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, all right, so you may prove, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You remember when back when you was in class in, in high school or, or college or whatever class you went to, I didn't go, I go to college, I stopped in high school and went to work. So I remember myself being in school. We had this discussion that in the foyer this morning about the idea of taking tests. Some excelled at it, others did not. Now when we think of testing, whenever we think of God testing us and, and our faith in being tested, James tells us that it will produce patience, that it will make us grow, it will make us, grow. It'll make us uh, get stronger, if you will, as our faith is tested when we think about the idea of proving what God would have us to do, when you're out there in the world wearing Christ and folks know that you are a Christian in the community, how do they see you? How do you portray Christ in your everyday walk of life? Is it a good, is it a good representation or is it a poor representation? I want to encourage the idea, if it's poor, strengthen it. Encourage, Be encouraged from God's word to prove what God's will is Because it's perfect. God's will is perfect. And it's good. And the things that we do are acceptable. Excuse me. Acceptable in the eyes of God. Now, let's look at this. Even going back in the Old Testament, I know we like to back up a little bit. We're not going to back up quite that far. I don't have time. You look back in the Old Testament and you look at Israel. How many times they disobeyed God? What did he do for them? He punished them. He tended to put them into bondage, on slavery, and they had to serve this foreign country or foreign power. And they was overcome by these folks because Israel was disobedient to God. But yet still, they recognized their shortcomings, and they they were restored as they came back to God, and they corrected something, that being their ways of their uh well what's the word I'm looking for their uh disobedient. They was no longer disobedient. They corrected it. They was obedient to God and His instructions. That's the word I was thinking of. His instructions. So back back up in verse 1 of chapter 12, and they're going to move to Hebrews. I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies that living sacrifice, a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I know we've covered this verse many times but I want us to refresh it in our minds tonight. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. What that's saying is, don't walk in this world as a worldly person. Don't be that enemy of God that Romans talks about in Romans chapter 8. We made mention of this morning's lesson that I was neglected to record. Mark's back there giggling at me now. So when we think about... A living sacrifice. We think about the idea of being holy or set apart. Our our minds, our motivations are set according to God, not according to this world. And those things that we do are acceptable to God if we are pleasing in His sight. That being said, are we doing the things God would have us to do? Because He gave us instructions. He gave us instructions on the way that we should live. He gave us a person. He gave us Jesus Christ. As Christ walked this earth... He showed us how we are to live as Christians, as a child of God. Because have you ever considered that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? So therefore, he was a child of God. So therefore, as we have been baptized for the remission of sins, put Christ on, being a joint heir with him, we are also a child of God, if and only if you are acceptable to God. That being, the things that you are doing, is it pleasing in his sight? which is your reasonable service. The Things that we endure. Now when I say endure, the the sins that we stay away from, that we repent of, that we get forgiveness of, and we turn away from it, and we turn back to God, and we keep our focus on God, and we're able to see the sins coming as our seasoned life, as we're going to see this in the next few minutes. We're able to see the sins coming and know where it takes us in our lives and we're able to stay away from it. We're able to cast it off to the side before it even arises. That's our reasonable service. God would not ask us to do anything that's beyond our means. He would not. Paul is saying it's your reasonable service to be a child of God because keep in mind what it costs God for us to have an opportunity of salvation. It costs one third of Himself. So now, as we turn to Hebrews, oh well, I'll move my bookmark right before the lesson. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. I made reference to this this morning. Hebrews 10 and verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So we learn in Romans chapter 12, we need to be a living sacrifice. It is a choice. Here, wait a minute. It's it's not implied that we're already acceptable in the eyes of God. Exactly. It's not implied. It requires choice on our part. It requires dedication on our part. Here, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, uh, this, this is wrote to the church. So if someone has, been, has put Christ on through baptism, as all of us in the audience tonight have done, or even those may listening tonight have done, we have an option. It's not a good option. It's a horrible option. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, that being putting Christ on, remember what Christ would tell us what the truth will do for us in John 8, 32. He tells us that the truth, no, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free uh, as we have received the knowledge of the truth. So after this, we have an opportunity to sin. Yes, sirs and yes, ma'ams, we do. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. I am not short of it. You are not short of it. When we sin, we sin. And the blood of Christ no longer cleanses us from that sin. Notice what it says. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So how do you, how do you couple this with 1 John chapter 1, verse 7? Well, turn there with me. I didn't, I didn't the, the thought just crossed my mind. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to turn there, but it's one of my favorite verses, as many folks know. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So there you go. Verse 7, the Christ's blood, does it not cleanse us from all sin? If you do something, if you're obedient to God, like Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, be that living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what that good and perfect will of, of God is, if we walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that's an option. It's not, it was a requirement. And it's also a choice on our part. As human beings, we are fallible. God is unchangeable. God can't sin. God can't lie to us. He will never lie to us. He can't do it. Here we see the opportunity as a child of God, walking this earth as God himself is Oh, excuse me, would have continued walking. Because he's here. He, he's, he's here watching us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's here. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So are you having fellowship with God? I seriously hope so. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10 tells us if we sin willfully. Willfully. Did you hear that? If we sin willfully. Here's, your, here's your, an, an example of sinning willfully. I know if I take this and, if, and, and, and I don't pay the person who owns it and I take it without their knowledge, I know without a shadow of doubt that's stealing. You and I know it. Folks around the world knows it. What stealing is. God commands us not to steal. That was even in the old Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. That's kind of stuck. That's still here. That's still standing firm about the idea of a child of God not stealing. So as a child of God, verse 26 is your example. As a child of God, I go into the store. I take this bag of chips. It's something simple, right? It's just a bag of chips. And I walk out of the door. Was that stealing? I didn't pay for them. Yes, sirs and yes, ma'am. It was stealing. So therefore, is there a sacrifice for those sins? No, nope, I'm afraid not. Until, until we turn back, couple this with 1 John chapter 1 and verse, whoop, too many pages, Jeremy. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is just and faith to forgive us of all unrighteous if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that's verse 9 wow so when i sin willfully i can escape from it yes we can we can turn back to god by stop performing that act our example was stealing stop stealing pay for your items and walk out of the door just like you're supposed to now, if I pay for those bag of chips and walk out the door, that's not stealing, is it? It's purchasing. There's a difference. Of course, that's one small example about the idea of being guilty of Hebrews 10, verse 26. So do we need to sin willfully? Uh, no. No, no, no. Because verse 27 carries that thought on. If we're sinning willfully, know this, that there is no longer a sacrifice for your sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries, adversaries being plural, being many folks who are going to be lost, who find that broad and wide gate that leads to destruction. So now, as we turn back to Hebrews chapter 6, and here's where we're going to take off. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Should we grow as a Christian? Yes, we should. Should we be performing more tasks as a Christian 10 years down the road than we were after the first six months? Most assuredly. Because in the first six months as a Christian, we're considered as babes. We're considered as receiving that good milk, that sincere milk of the gospel. Well, before we move on into Hebrews chapter 6, we need to get to context. Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you might... Uh, you You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. These are seasoned Christians that we're talking to. We have seasoned Christians in the audience. There may be seasoned Christians listening to my voice. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a... That word is babe... He is a babe. God does not want babes. He wants seasoned Christians. And when I say seasoned, I don't mean the, the context of our little inside joke that we have. That's not what I mean. I mean someone who is able to take the gospel and use it in their everyday walk of life. Someone asks you a question, you're able to biblically answer it and prove that perfect will of God going right back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's the word I was trying to look for. Discernment. We have knowledge, we have wisdom, and now we have discernment. What is discernment you might ask. We had, uh, they, you just had that example. To be able to see sin, my personal example is I stay away from hard drink. I stay sober minded because I know where that would lead me. That would be sinful for me. It'd be sinful for you if you don't have a a, uh, sober mind because we've been commanded to have a sober mind. To know to stay away from that sin where it would lead us, it would destroy us if we partake in it. So therefore we're able to discern that sin and we're able to stay away from it. Solid food. It's referred to a, an infant and a grown person, right? You can even see it in the field with your cows, right? How many, how many grown cows do you see partaking of the milk that a, that a heifer has for a, for a calf? How many of you see that? None! You don't see that. So now, the idea of an infant, an infant's needing that milk, right? That grown person is not needing the milk, they're needing solid food. This example here, the solid food is the difficult parts of the scriptures. The milk is the elementary principles. The hear, the believe, the repent, the confess, and the be baptized. That's the elementary principles. That's the sincere milk of the gospel. Here's your context. There's your context. Verse 6. Excuse me. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. If I was to ask you, how does one put Christ on? Could you answer that? Galatians 3.27, right? Baptism. That's one of the basic principles of Christ. How to get to Him. How to, how to find Him. How to put Him on. How to get remission of sin. That's all basic, basic principles of Christ. We're leaving that. Let us go on to, oh, perfection. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. All right. The meat of the scriptures is those difficult parts. The difficult parts where you're going out there in the world, living out your Christian lives. We know that we have to cease from sin. Paul makes that exceedingly clear in Romans chapter 6. And I know it's exceedingly clear in this audience that we have to cease from sin. That's one of the basic principles of Christ. That foundation. Remember the class that we had? First got to dig down deep, get rid of the mire, get rid of the muck in your life, and find Christ. And off Christ, build your spirituality. Because if you try to build it on the mire or the muck, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to crumble. It's like trying to build your house on the sand. That not-so-smart fella tried to do, and it, and it was, and it was... Destruction ensued and great was the fall of that, of that house. Therefore, laying, excuse, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Let's look at that word perfection. You ever seen something that's perfect? You ever seen something that's just doesn't need any change? Things are working the way it's supposed to be working. Here's a wonderful example that we had right after our morning service. And I'm thankful somebody was here as this happened. Melissa and I got in the truck. What happened? She hit the key and nothing happened. Danny's over here giggling. He's probably thinking, yeah, you should have bought a Ford. She hit that key and nothing happened. She says, what am I doing wrong? I said, well, I don't know. Let me go out here and look at him. check the battery connections. It wasn't perfect, right? Now, how many of y'all left? Raise your hands. How many of y'all just left? I'm not getting on to you. How many of you just left? You hit the key and you took off and went home, right? Is that what you expected? Sure you did. How many of y'all got in your car, hit the key, and nothing happens? I mean, nothing. Not even, not that, just absolutely nothing. You're right. You're right. Mark's another good example of that. It wasn't perfect, was it? Something was wrong. All right, the something was wrong. All y'all left, there was nothing wrong. Y'all went home, enjoyed your lunch, right? And then you came back. That's the way it was supposed to be. Let us leave the perfect, excuse me, let us leave the foundations of Christ, those elementary principles that we know we have to cease from dead works. Now we're going to move on and get better. Now we're going to start in- involving ourselves in the meat scriptures. And nothing's going to be left out because, what? Well, we're going to be perfect. Or try our very best to be perfect. Now that perfect is complete. That's not sin free. That's not what that perfect is. Because all of us are sinners. We Thankfully we get a forgiveness of those sins as we repent of them. Don't get me wrong about the idea of perfection. This concept of perfection in verse 1 of Hebrews 6 is perfect in the eyes of God. We can, we can be perfect in the eyes of God by following his commands. I believe his son, Jesus Christ, done those very things, did he not? He kept his father's commands. So as we move on from the elementary principles of Christ, in verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. All right. Many of us have studied the study of the scriptures, and as we go through the Bible classes, and our, as we progress through the Gospels, that being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we progress that. We learn about all the things that we need to do to get to Christ, to start our spiritual walk, right? We learn about all this, and then as we get into the other books of the Bible, we learn how we are to live our lives from there out. We, we leave that. We progress on. We don't stay as many people do. They, they stay in this one spot. But they stay in the spot of, of baptism, of, of resurrection, of laying on the hands. They, they're, they're, they're stuck there. We must move on. If we don't move on, we can't be perfect in the eyes of God. Notice verse 3 as he, as he puts this little bit of encouragement in there. And this we will do if God permits. Verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and having tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the ages to come, if they fall away. All right, stop there. Stop in verse. the very first part of verse 6 before we move on. It is impossible for those who are once enlightened. It was, it's impossible for once been baptized and living your life as a, as a child of God if you fall away. It's impossible. Impossible what? If they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Wow. Did you really grasp the gravity of that statement? How many of y'all know that Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, there for your salvation, would drive the nails into his flesh, into that cross? Would you do that? Knowing he had to go to the cross and die, but would you do it? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? It'd be tough to know this is the Son of God, and you are killing him all over again. We do that when we fall away. You know, it's saying, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, wait a minute. I never really received the Holy Spirit. Well, let's ask this question. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? By obedience, by keeping God's commands, by following His instructions. He gives you a portion of that Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away. If they fall away. First off, verse 4 and 5 speaks of something that's impossible. We learn this in Romans chapter 8. The idea of trying to please God. For you cannot please God if you are his enemy. Let's not be his enemy. Let's make sure we're progressing. Let's make sure we're growing continuously in the word. And when we fall away, I said when, because we do, we will fall away. If we fall away, to renew them again to repentance, there you go. What a wonderful tool a child of God has. You and I, we have a wonderful tool. It's called repentance. We can stand before God justified as we ask him to forgive us when we stop doing the acts that separate us from God. We do realize that, right? I seriously hope we're asking him to forgive us. Because if we're not asking him to forgive us, we're going to stand before God just but unjustified because we did not get forgiveness of the sins that we had committed. So let's turn away from him. Let's ask him to forgive us. To renew them again to repentance. Because look what happens when you fall away. Look what happens when you once was a child of God and you've turned back to your old sinful way like Romans 6, verse 1 and 2 instructs us. What? Paul says there, why don't we just help God by sinning more? So, of course, certainly not. He screams it out, and I'm going to lose my voice if I do it. It's about gone. He says, certainly not. We cannot do that. We died to sin. We can't live any longer in it. So in doing so, when we turn back to that sinful dead person that's displeasing in the eyes of God, we crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. That is what your scripture says. That is what God is whispering in your ear. Do not turn back to your sinful life. Because in doing so, it's like you hanging Christ on the cross. That's the reason why we read Hebrews 10 verse 26. Where if we sin willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, which falls right hand in hand with this idea of not progressing. When we sin willfully, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 does not apply until you jump into verse 9. You confess your sins. You turn away from them. In doing so, he will forgive you. In doing so, he will renew you, just like he did Israel. when they When they disobeyed him, he renewed them every time. Now, granted, it was a generation to die off, and he renewed them. But yet still a little bit different. He will renew us today. So my question, listen very carefully about the idea of putting Christ to an open shame. Put yourself in His shoes. Put yourself in the Son of God's shoes. going to the cross for everybody's sins. Knowing your blood has to be shed. That's, that's the cup that He wished to be passed. And you can see in the future. Because Christ had foreknowledge. He was able to see now then. That's kind of hard to explain. But he can see now then. 2020. Knowing that you're going to take his name. And live in the world just as how you would want to live. Sinful. Disobedient. You put him on. You put him on through baptism. You are an erring child of God. Child of God nonetheless. How shameful would it be. It's not very encouraging to know. Hey, put yourself again. You know, put yourself in his shoes. It's not very encouraging to go to the cross if Jeremy's going to accept Christ and then walk in this world how he wants to walk, right? It'd be a little discouraging. But know this: He done it. He done it. So as you and I, as we ask for forgiveness, can stand justified on that great day. Because that great day is coming. That great. That great day where All things will be revealed. We will see him in his glory just as he is. We'll be able to, folks, whenever you read through Acts when stone, Stephen was being stoned and he looked up into the heavens and seen Christ sitting at the right hand of God, Stephen seen that before he died. We're going to see that. We're going to see that in his glory on judgment day. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. So the audience tonight have been baptized for the remission of sins and every one of us have done so. You may be hearing my voice and saying, yeah, I need to put Christ on. I need to, I need to get forgiveness of sins. I need to get my life right. We encourage it. God commands it. Because that's when you start your spiritual walk. You may have been baptized for the remission of sins and you have taken that short walk to Satan. I want to encourage something. As we do not progress... As we sin, as we fall short, when we do not ask for forgiveness, when we refuse to repent, we're dead in our sins, we're sinning willfully, and we are condemned on Judgment Day if we do not change. So let's change. Let's get right in the eyes of God. Let's be that complete that God would want us to have. Oh, excuse that. God would want us to be. So have we done this? We always offer an opportunity to get forgiveness of sins, we always offer an opportunity to come forward and confess of our sins as publicly as they've been committed, do we need to come to God? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing a song of invitation?